Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 77 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 12, Chapter 6, Fearing God. Our teacher is Alan Smith. It's uh, good to be here today in the house of the Lord with God's people. We want to, as we gather to, you know, together today, we gather together today because the Lord asked us to. He says it's a good idea for us together as a people. And we want to thank you that are watching online for being with us too. Thank you so much for being with us. We're glad that you're here. And we pray that the Lord will just arrest us today in a way that only He can do and surprise us. And uh, my hope and goal as I continue quickly, and I say quickly, it is going to be quickly, summarize the rest of Revelation here, that um, we can understand uh, the, I guess you could say, who is God? Have we met God? Who is God? God's, uh, that's a big, that's a big statement, isn't it? Who is God? And we see through the scriptures all the different uh, attributes and characteristics and languages of who God is. And if we are partly want to know who God is, we can look at ourselves and he's created us and he's created this world and the earth. And he's created us with the ability to think and the ability to choose. And it looks like to me that when he gave us the ability, the ability to choose, that there was a wild card in that deck, and for some reason he played it. He just kind of he said, okay, I'm going to put something out there, and I'm going to create man with the ability to choose, and I'm going to turn him loose with it. And uh, then he said he, in his heart he wanted to see his, I, I'm thinking it's, to me, part of my question when I wake up in the mornings is, how foolish will I be today? I, I, I walk into that more at 70 than I did at 30. And uh, just how foolish will I be today? And so as I'm walking and as we're walking closer to God, which is our, is our goal, it's not so much God walking closer to me, is it, than me walking closer to Him. And uh, as we do that, and as we look at the book of Revelation, my hope is it's, it's basically a, a story, if you will, not a story, but a prophecy of future. But what we're wanting to pick up is, is the revelation of who Jesus is. Even though all of this stuff is going on around us in the world today. And for sure, the world looks very grave today. I can't help but believe if we were here a hundred years ago, it did then also. I can't help but believe that for the last 2,000 years, uh, the feeling that I have, there's something in my spirit, man, that says, well, everybody's kind of felt the same way for the last 2,000 years. It's been pretty tough and pretty rough and un kind of ungodly. We've had periods of history that uh, God was more removed from the earth than he is, is even now, believe it or not. And so as we're looking at the book of Revelation, trying to get a revelation of who Jesus is, for God to insert this whole book on and applying it to the last 2,000 years, let's say, he has taken 2,000 years to reveal to the earth who Jesus is. Now, just think about it. He's got a book and books, of course, New Testaments, which brings revelation. But who is Jesus? Who is he? And Jesus is, is an issue, a big issue, because the part of Jesus, when we read of the God of the Old Testament, without Jesus... When we come together, basically we all needed to crawl on our hands and our knees through those doors with our heads down, being hoping that God didn't smite us on the spot. God was a, no 
Old Testament, he was one to be feared and dread, it says. Fear and dread. Uh, you were to reverence God and to fear God, which I still think we need to. But still in the Old Testament, uh, that part of who God is, it's given to us in the Old Testament, is um, not a lot of mercy unless you were his pick. And then if you were his pick, he was harder on you than he was with the, the pagans. So God of the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's pretty tough. So as we see who God is of the Old Testament, we see that the New Testament brings a, a, a refreshed, if you will, or a greater definition of the fear of the Lord. Because it's the fear of the Lord with the grace of God. So to have the revelation of Jesus, that's a big deal. To have the New Testament that brings revelation of who Jesus is, you got to understand it. It's not so much, I mean, I know we look at the world and how depraved and how ungodly and how dark. We look at all of this, but, in, you know, we have a particular fear of the devil and what he might cause us in life and disease. And we have this level of fear of the devil. But according to this book, we need to fear God more than the devil. God's our first problem. Not the devil. <laughs> let's, let's put it in perspective here. God's the first one we've got to deal with, not the devil. And so when we understand that according to scriptures, that God is the issue that we want to deal with, before you became born again, the devil was your second problem. Your first problem was a judgment of God and eternity in hell. First problem, would you say? Wouldn't that be a correct priority? And so, as we see this situation of God as our biggest problem, not the devil, now those of us that are children of God, we've got that first problem, if you will, taken care of. We are now a child of God. My God problem has been dealt with. And now I can get into the situation of my uh, devil problems, if you will, or power of darkness problems. But I enter those problems as a child of the king, which gives me a, a different set of rules to work with, um, different sets of laws, if you will, or realities to work with as I deal with my second problem. But make no mistake about it, there was a first problem, and it was with God. And there again, I say the God of the Old Testament, and He's going to come back on the scene in the book of Revelation as that God of the Old Testament. And I know, uh, there again, I'm, you know me, I'm pre-tribulation rapture guy. And one of the reasons that I am is that God is making a spectacle out of the day of grace of this part of who He is through Jesus. He can't take us through that wrath because we are an example of His grace and His mercy. Now, we didn't deserve it. I understand that. But when you understand the character of God, you understand that God could only maintain His righteousness because He dealt with sin through Jesus. That's how He maintained it. God's a righteous God. He maintained His righteousness because He died our death. He, he died so we would not have to partake of the wrath to come upon sin. We're that example. And, and to understand that, is to be our spiritual fuel, which motivates us to move forward and to live for God. It's our spiritual fuel to realize the reality that God is a God of justice and, and of wrath. 
People say they don't believe in hell. I'm, I'm sorry. God had to have a wastebasket somewhere. He just did. And, and who are we to escape that? And people say, well, Alan, you're pre-trib, so you're, you like to escape. You're an escapist. Hey, praise God. I want to escape hell. You did too. Tell me you're not an escapist. Yes, you are. I had people challenge me and stick her chest out. Well, I'm ready to go through it. I'm like, well, have fun. That's I'm telling you, <laughs> have fun. But, but you got to understand what the grace of God really is and what it means. What it really means. God really, God's tough. He's... His toughness is the toughest of the tough. If you want to know how tough God is. He's the extreme of anything you can think of. But so is His love. So is His grace. So is His mercy. It's the greatest of all mercy. The greatest of all justice and of all mercy. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I've been born in a time that has the expression of His grace and His mercy. I don't get that. I do not feel worthy because I'm not, and you're not either. But on your best day, He chose you, to, He put you in this time zone. He put you in this period. Because God was persuaded that we would shout it from the rooftops. He was persuaded that we would take that message to the world. God was persuaded that we would be impressed with His grace. He's persuaded that we'd be persuaded with His mercy. Wow. So to keep the book of Revelation in, to keep it in its context, we need to understand God that is reflected in the Old Testament. And, you know, I'm scared when I get to heaven if I can ask Jesus, maybe just one of the 12 apostles. I want to ask the question, God, what did you do before Genesis 1? <laughs> what, what was in your mind? What was going on before Genesis 1-1? I'm curious uh, what God had in mind when he spoke all of this into existence. And when we read the Old Testament, it gives us a little bit of an idea that God got lonely. Now, I say that in shuddering. Uh, I really do. I say that in fear. But it appears God was a little lonely. So He created us to have a true responsive person. He had to give us this ability to choose do you realize what the responsibility and the privilege we have to choose between right and wrong? That is huge. Absolutely huge. And it's like we want to squander it or something when it's an opportunity to choose God. You know, life is funny. It, every day of life is a new opportunity of the things that happen in this new day, there's new opportunities to trust God, isn't there? Every day. It's just a new opportunity that arises. So I'm going to hush and get on with it. But As we go into the book of Revelation, I can't emphasize enough that as we get into chapter 6, it appears to me at this point, that the church is raptured out. And when you start dealing with God post-grace, now God's still God. you got to understand something. The grace of God was on the earth prior to Abraham. You know, God, for some reason, woke up one morning, and God used to just speak to the earth. 
to people. He'd pick this one or a donkey over here or, or a person over here. God just kind of spoke to the earth as he, as he chose. Then he decided he was going to pick Abraham and through him and through his descendants, he was going to talk to the, to the earth. And we know now that he was using that example as to teach us uh, because God knew Israel wasn't going to do such a good job. And so we look at Israel and talk about how bad they were and understand that God's just given us a reflection of who you are, who I am. That's all he was doing. But he thought he would narrow it down to a, to a group of people. And that example or that symbol or that illusion, if you will, is he narrows it down to a group of people today called the body of Christ. We, we are, I'll say this, I don't believe we're the bride yet. I believe we're being prepared to be the bride. The bride, according to Revelation, is, is that new Jerusalem that's in heaven. But when we leave here, then we become uh, part of that bride. But we're being prepared. I mean, I still have a few wrinkles and a few spots. I don't know about you. Just a few. So we know we're being prepared to be part of the bride of Christ. But in lieu of that, we are now the body of Christ, which is an allusion to, in his stead, he's in heaven sitting on the right hand of God the Father. Since he went away until he comes again, we are to operate as his body uh, to the earth. We're wanting God to supernaturally change things, which he does. But the plan A is the body is the one who, just like the nation Israel was, we, God speaks to the body to speak to the earth. It's like the nation Israel, he spoke to the nation Israel to speak to the earth. But prior to or pre-Abraham, God just spoke to the earth. Today we know in the day of grace that God's grace and mercy is to be declared by people. And we, the reason I say we want to remember that is because we are living in a time that the dark side does want us not to extend the grace of God to the earth. Amen. He doesn't want us to do it. And we find ourselves in situations with, and most of it's in sexuality department, I guess, but whether it be homosexuality or lesbianism or or whatever. I ran to a, into a little funny here not long ago and this lady was a pastor's wife. I guess you could say kind of naive a little bit. Truthfully, I don't know that naivety is bad. <laughs> I'm about to read. I'm about to change my opinion of that. Yeah, because in the conversation that we were talking about came up and just hit my brain about uh, lesbians. And uh, the, his, her husband, she, he said, now, honey, you know what that is? And I said, yeah, it's people from Lebanon. <laughs> I ain't got a thing to do with Revelation, except I'm, I'm like, sometimes naivety is okay. Uh, uh, now it's like we got all of these words and all these compromised words and, to try to change the meaning of things. And, and um, notice we find ourselves with this gospel of God, the grace of God. we got to understand something. There is more required of us to give the gospel of God in a depraved generation that's ever been. Than's ever been. Than's ever been. You can say, well, Alan, we don't want to allow anybody that's got same-sex attraction or anything. We don't allow anybody like that into our congregation. Well, in any given Sunday, you got people sitting in here with fighting that problem. You just do. So I don't know when you think it's going to start or stop, but it's been going on for ever since it's been mankind. Our question, our only defense, is if we preach and teach the truth with the power of God.
So let's look at this thing in the day of grace. We're going into the book of in, in chapter 6 here. I want to show you a little something in the beginning, a prophetic sign of the times that we're in. Uh, and I was speaking about Abraham. And with Abraham, God switched from speaking to the earth to speaking to a group of people. And uh, from the time of creation, now look at this little timeline. From the time of creation of Adam until Abraham, uh, the creation of Israel, of course, it was uh, 1,948 years, almost 2,000 years. Now that, that's how many years it was from the time of, of Adam until Abraham. Now this is interesting to me. From the time of the second Adam, which is Jesus, until the time of the rebirth of Israel, was 1,948 years. Can anybody tell me what year that is? It's 1948. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? So, so when we see these prophetic things that are hidden in time, in Scripture, God puts His stamp on stuff everywhere to show us that it's Him. That it's Him. So we know that for 2,000 years when Israel was scattered, we got the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, talks about the seven churches. We've got 2,000 years we've seen the grace of God poured out in His mercy. We're living in a time of His grace and mercy to the nth degree that it, if, if we're not careful, it can feel like it has no effect to us. That's, that's my point. Just what, what comes with the privilege of being a millionaire? Well, you start getting lazy. You, you don't feel like you need to work. You don't feel like you need to serve anybody because all of your needs are taken care of. So it gives you the mindset of you're not appreciating what has been given. That is our greatest demon. And especially at the end of the end of the end times, if anybody needs to be shaken and awakened, it's us. Now, we've been the same as a millionaire in this spiritual realm. We've been given it all. Didn't work for a bit of it. Been given it all. His grace and His mercy. We're rich. We can be lazy. You can. You can be lazy. You cannot want to co contribute. You cannot want to be aggressive for the kingdom. You're, you're a millionaire. That's true. But what happens when you're complacent? You're going to miss all the action. You're going to miss part of the purpose that you were here, that God created. Listen, the very fact that we were birthed into this generation has proved to us that God saw us to be equipped to carry the gospel to the world. The very fact we've been birthed now is proof that it's in us. Now, the complacency is, is if we are complacent, if we are satisfied with where we are as far as our relationship with God and fulfilling the purpose in which He's put us here. And just a little, little to clue you in a little, your purpose of being here is not for Him to make you happy. It's just not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that's, that's an illusion. It's happy, it's, it's, it's a happiness, a definition of happiness today is having everything that I want to happen fulfilled. That's, that's our idea of happiness, everything I want or need. I, I, want, I want all roads and rivers to flow my way. That's, that's the idea of happiness. The Bible says that's the height of selfishness. So we can see here that the, that the world has changed terms of happiness with selfishness. And we've been... Because when you get into the realities of life, it's hard. It's from crisis to crisis. And if that's your definition of happiness, you're going to be very disappointed in God when He never said it. He never said it but we'll be disappointed in God. Some people come to church to see God move. Some people come to church to hang out with God just to see if He'll, he'll serve them. Well, God, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going today. 
That's right. That's why it's the way we deal. We deal with God. And my concern, I guess you could say, this morning, as you can see, I'm getting bogged down in my concern, is that we miss where we are, especially in the relation to the book of Revelation, going into chapter 6. If, uh, if you think you're going to be here during all this wrath, that can, I mean, you, just like I said, you can be if you want to, but if you really believe what this book says about this wrath that's coming, you're going to think God's a mean God. And I'm just here to tell you, it's the same God he was of the Old Testament. He's not a mean God, but he's a just God, and he's a righteous God, and he ain't no funny business about him. The funniest he ever got was the day he, God is the day he hung on a cross. And he died for you, and he died for me, to be an example of his grace and his mercy. The only thing I'd like to do this morning is to shake us and understand we're, we're pre uh, um, Chapter 6, I believe. Now, when we get into chapter 6, and is, I don't know if, if I got anything after that. Yes, I do. We must remember that Israel is at the center of his prophesied program. And what I mean by that is, uh, and uh, y'all have heard me say in replacement theology, people believe that the church has replaced Israel. It's just, there's no way you can make it. You really have to. Um, there's two terms are, of hermeneutics. One is called uh, her hermeneutics. That term is interpreting the scripture. It's interpret. It's, it's a gift of interpretation. In other words, uh, there's certain. Uh, I hate to use the word rules, but there's certain realities and truths of interpretation. And it's called hermeneutics, and it's because of those hermeneutics that, that I am a pre-tribulation rapture because. In, you have what's called exegesis and eisegesis. Uh, there's two types of hermeneutics. You, exegesis and eisegesis. Exegesis is when you take the Scripture, you take into account what it says. You've heard it, heard it used, we'll keep it in context. You, everybody claims that, right? <laughs> keep it in context. Well, that's more of an exegesis to keep it in true contextual form. Uh, context means uh, there was a writer who wrote it. He wrote it to a group of people. It's historically accurate. He, he actually had something in mind when he said what he said, right? You got a group of people that's uh, Corinthians, that's immoral. and So he's got something in mind when he writes Corinthians. There's a setting. There's a group of people, believers, so that's what you call exegesis. In other words, the Bible says what it says, and you're more contextual in your hermeneutical uh, view of Scripture. Then you got the eisegesis, which is you tend to uh, uh, take a Scripture out of context. Now, there again, I'm not saying that you can't use either. I'm just saying I tend to be more exegesis and I really handle lightly eisegesis. All right? That's what, if you want to know why, what is my hermeneutical understanding, that's, that's it. Now, the eisegesis is, is uh, like in Jeremiah when, uh, you know, with the scripture, it leaves me the um, actual reference. I'm sure one of you can tell me where. He says, I know the, my, the plans I have for you. 29-11, okay. He says, I know the plans that I have for you, uh, things that are good. Or, uh, somebody quote it right quick. Hope of a future. Yeah, yeah. We know that to be exegesis, there was a particular group of people in a particular context in which uh, that applied to. I see Jesus says, I'm going to pull that one out for me. Okay. Now, do I think that the Holy Spirit can cause us to pull that out for an individual? Yes, I do. I do believe that. But I don't think it'll violate too much the context in which it was given. See, see what I'm saying? And that's how some cults and some people, when you get too eisegesis heavy and you get away from exegesis, you, t you, you can tend to get off. Does that, does that make sense? 
So that's what you call hermeneutics. So when you look at Scripture, look at the book of Revelation or whatever, it's important as Bible students that we understand that there is basically two ways to interpret Scripture. One's to exegesis, one's eisegesis. And if you go to a Bible school somewhere, that's where you start. You start there, and then you start looking at the Scriptures. And so you have a historical view, right? Then you see the plan of God and what God had in mind. And that's the reason I say uh, this is an exegesis. You can take the first two books of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, and you take the last two books of the Bible, Revelation 21 22, you take the first two and last two and put them together, and you have what God was up to all the time. You see, man fell in Genesis 3. So then all of a sudden you got Genesis, you got all of this, God had to do all this to get us back up to 21-22. And that's what you call an exegesis. You, you get the beginning, you get the end. Uh, Genesis 3 happened, man fell, so God did through all of this gyration and stuff, even Jesus died and all, to bring us back up to speed when He created man and Adam and Eve in, in the, uh, there. He, his whole idea, Genesis, uh, Revelation 21-22, see this new Jerusalem that comes down from the heavens to the earth. So actually, God was in a building program to bring uh, uh, to bring the the, um, the 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 grand his uh, I'm thinking trying to think of NASA what do you call it uh, mission uh, mission control God was bringing mission control uh, He's creating the Earth to bring it down to and we were going to be a people who reign with Him Satan did his conniptions and God knew all that stuff of course even though. Satan came on the scene, messed it all up. It didn't change God's plan. You see, it didn't change it. Now, even though Satan's come in all of our lives and messed them up for sure, don't forget, it hadn't changed God's plan. If you'll join him. And his plan's bigger than anything you can imagine. It's just bigger than anything you can imagine. Then we have all of the disappointments of life and the crisis and the, our, every day we get up, there's a new, new way for our faith to be stretched. 98% of them I do pretty good. Now, but some gun, there's one or two about every, at least every week that just pushes me to a new place to trust Him. You know, if it's not health, it's finances. If it's not that, it's children or your friends or it might not be your body, your physical body, but it's somebody that you love, right? And uh, so we're all put into these situations. Uh, we're thinking that, well, I'll finally get to a place I am now living a life that trusts God, and life will be, it will be easier for me. No, every day is a new day. It's a fresh day. It's a fresh crisis. It's another opportunity to trust God. So God, we find, has got this big idea out there of, um, and y'all have heard me say this before, but it's the truth, especially going into to Revelation here, that God has this big idea that He wanted a people that would trust Him. That's His, that's his deal. And uh, I've said this before, you can say, I love you, but according to this book, when God says He loves us, our response to Him is not, well, God, I love you too. Our response to Him is, God, I trust you. So the true response to love is trust. That's the reason in a marriage, when the trust is broken, you can say, I love you all day long. Doesn't it's empty words. And it's because we understand this supernatural, this spiritual relationship. It's called the love of God that we're trying to pattern after. So the love of God, and God says, I love you. There's one thing to be loved of God. And there's another thing to receive God's love. Two, di two different, we're loved by God, but it's another thing to receive God's love. And when we receive God's love, it's because we believe that He did die for us. 
that we would not have to endure the wrath that is to come. To me, that is a good gospel. It's a wonderful message of the gospel of Christ. Now, as we're looking here, mercy, am I going to get to the beginning? Now, we're living in according to the 69 weeks of Daniel. And that, that's, this is another teaching kind of altogether. It says we're living in what's called an interval. Y'all have heard me refer to that. Uh, 69 weeks of Daniel. It's an interval week, 70th week, Revelation 6 through 19. And that when we're getting ready to go into 6, this is called a, an interval time. It's detailed in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, this would be what's called an exegesis of the Scripture. Not an Isa, but an Exa of Daniel. There will be a false peace will come. Y'all have heard this said that the Antichrist will come on the scene. That's what's in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, the white horse. He comes in on a white horse. He said, well, I thought Jesus comes in on a white horse. Well, Jesus does later. But the Antichrist is mimicking Christ. He's looking like he's going to, he heard through the grapevine, Jesus is going to come in on a white horse. So he decided he was going to preempt him on the white horse. And he's going to look like Christ. And people's going to believe it. Now, I don't know if anybody in here has ever dealt with a, there's different types of spirits of jealousy, um, a Jezebel spirit, Jez, uh, jealousy. There's all kinds of, there's multiple choices out there you can use. But it's always trying to mimic what God's doing. And in this day and time, we're going to have an onslaught, I believe, or according to Scripture. You're, see, like even today, we know that when you get to these horsemen, there's going to be an outpouring of disease, of famine. All of these things are going to happen. Well, we have to admit they're already happening, right? We, we, we know it's already happening, but what we need to understand is it's not happening now like it's really going to be happening. It's like you got a few embers here, and then somebody comes along and throws some gas on it, and then it just, wow, explodes, and, and here it comes. That's what, that's what will happen. So we got these 70 weeks. There'll be a false peace, a false treaty. Now, I'm of the persuasion, if I see this false treaty and this false peace, I'm persuaded that we'll be raptured out either right before that or right during that time or something, right when this is happening. See, that you got the white horse rider comes in, Revelation 6, and he comes in. One of the first things he does is have a false treaty in the Middle East and with Israel, and we'll see all this stuff happening. And there again, it's a falseness. Now, if we look at the world today, we've got the world, WHO, we've got all of these globalist uh, groups, we call them. And I know a lot of people like to deny that they're there, but it's no need trying to deny it because the Bible even says it's going to be there. And so we see that it's there. So it's not to, to get uh, too fearful about, <laughs> I guess you could say, because we know that the Bible gives us testimony that this is going to be going on. We look around and uh, we see that that's what's going on. Tells us a little bit of what time it is. Now, as, as believers, I mean, I could stand up here and tell you how great everything is and what God's doing. God is doing a lot of things, by the way. Uh, uh, Y'all remember Graham Marshall? He spoke here a few weeks ago. Uh, he's on uh, leadership council of the SEND, and they just had a, they're having several big, uh, I don't know what they call them. They don't call them like a convention or something. But anyway, I, it's amazing to me how they pull it off. I, they went to Philadelphia, I think. I think Alex went up there, didn't you, preacher? Alex went up there, uh, our drummer and pastor's son, and uh, there was, I don't know, five, 10,000, I think they had total. Uh, came through, and they just go into a city and, and uh, uh, organize it loosely and have a, a... And so God's doing a lot of things. I mean, just doing some fantastic things. And, and that's the reason I want to get out of the book of Revelation as soon as possible. 
And so maybe we can get into a few of those things. But God's doing incredible things. But at the same time, we don't want to deny what's happening around us and what's going on. But our security is not in that everything in the world is going great. Our security is in Christ. Now, I venture to say, as most Christians, we have yet to walk into the realization of Christ being our safe haven. We're still looking for things of this world to give us peace and safety. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to. I mean, put up a can of green beans or a jar of green beans and save one for me. So I think we're supposed to prepare and we're to do all these things. But but for Christians, we're, we're saved and we're Christians. But to have Christ is your true safe place. Now, that's, that's saying a lot as we're... There's, there's not a person in here uh, that will not have to face death. Did you know that? That's given, that's one apiece. Sometimes people might get a couple of runs at it. I, I, I'm not wanting to be one of those if it's all the same to you. Uh, <laughs> that's the pastor says, he ain't coming. And uh, we all get one apiece. And it's in those moments when we reach that moment, as I've said before, uh, nobody can get in that moment with you. Uh, you're, you never felt so alone in your life than facing uh, 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 imminent death. And it's just, uh, it's, it can be a lonely place. But Christ can enter that place. And we'll have moments of it and, and, and all of this. But what we're seeing here that happens even uh, in the book of Revelation is God's people is to be a people that is very comfortable, very, very comfortable with the presence of Christ as their peace. And I, that's just a personal challenge, I guess, to all of us. And as we study the Scriptures and read our Bibles and worship God, I dare say there's some in this room that's not doing that. I dare say. But to read the Scriptures, to worship God, and to be with God, and to have this relationship with God, God's the only one, now listen to me, He is the only one that can enter that place on your deathbed. But let me tell you this, He's the only one that can enter that place when you lay down on your bed. It's no different. Same bed. Do you want to wait until that time before you have that relationship with Him? So as we find a relationship with Christ that invades our space, invades our space more than life itself, invades our space more than what we have or a new car, a new house, or I want to go to the beach or the mountains. If it invades our space, I'm not saying you can't do those things. But the question is, do we allow Him to invade our space to this huge point of eternity. It's eternity is what we're looking for. It's eternity. It's the reality of eternity. I know there's pain here. There's crisis here that takes our attention. But please don't live through life without giving this other your attention, your full attention, for it'll help us when we get to those times of need. So we see here, we have this treaty, the Harpazo, which is a catching way, I believe, will be before that 70th week. Now, the 70th week, of course, is what we call the Great Tribulation. For then shall be great tribulation, Jesus said in Matthew 24, as such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, no nor do ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So we see that he speaks about this 70th week. Now, I have mentioned to you, and I'll get to it probably next week now. I don't know why I went through all this other, but I did. Uh, but as we get into this interim time that we see that we're in, it's the secret or mystery, the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says, it's between the two weeks. It's this day of grace. Now, we know we're in that interval, and it keeps showing up. Now, the backdrop of the book is about spiritual warfare, getting into chapter 6. 
of Revelation. In Revelation 6, 1 through 8, And I saw when the land opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. Second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and the power was given to him that said they're on to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sore. Now in Genesis 9.13, it says, I do set my bow. Now we got a word bow here. Uh, we got the word bow right there. Well, we're always thinking of a bow and arrow. I understand that. Uh, if it is a bow and arrow, it doesn't have an arrow. It just says he has a bow. Uh, but we see that this same word here is, is, is uh, it says, I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a token of covenant between me and thee and the earth. So it sets in, I'm somewhat persuaded that this bow is, has more to do uh, with the rainbow and that this Antichrist comes in. And so today, what do we see the symbol uh, of of all of this all of this movement now it's, it's that of a rainbow and so do I think that that's of the spirit of the Antichrist I'm, that's a no brainer uh, but I think it's also scripturally sound to entertain that thought uh, that he says that he'll have a, a bow uh, there just that's a thought Amos says this neither shall he stand that handleth a bow and he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself, neither shall he that rideth a horse deliver himself. And it's speaking of that reference of that. The bow symbolizes the first world leader, Nimrod. That's where you get into Babylon and yada yada. We'll get into that uh, later on. So now this whole backdrop of chapter 6 is spiritual warfare. He says, and when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see, and beheld, and a, a black horse. So we have a white, red, black horse. And he said on him, had a pair of balances in his hand, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come up hither. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. So here we had a white, red, uh, uh Black, pale horse, and that it, pale horse in some translations is even said a light green. Uh, it was a light, um, and more of them would indicate that, but in King James he said pale. I'll give King James one on that one. And his name set on him was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beast of the earth. Now we see this same pattern in Revelation 6 that you see in Matthew 24. Now this is interesting to me. I mean, Jesus speaks about this uh, pattern, what it was coming. You have a white horse rider in Revelation 6, 1 and 2. You have false Christ in 24, 4 and 5. Uh, you have a red horse, which is war, uh, 6, 3 and then you got wars in verse 24. You just, it's just like right down the line. You got a black horse, which is famine. And then you got famines mentioned, Jesus did in Matthew 24, 7. Now, just see, it just follows 24, 4, 5, 6, 7. You got the bale, pale horse, which is death, and uh, death in 24, 7, and 8. Isn't that amazing? It's just, it just follows what Jesus. Uh, prophetically had given uh, them that this is what it's going to look like, shows up on the scene with John. And you got to understand, this is probably uh, 60 years after Matthew 24. 60 years later, you got Revelation, you see. So it's a huge gathering, well, not compared to eternity, but it's pretty big. Or then you got the martyrs. Uh, here and then you got martyrs in the next verse of Matthew. So when you see these uh, these horsemen, I, I would love for it to be in your spirit, man, and your understanding. Oh, okay, this is totally exactly what Jesus said this thing would look like. 
So when we get over to Revelation chapter 6 and the four horsemen, what's taking place in Revelation 6 is what Jesus said was going to take place in Matthew 24. Okay? Isn't that interesting? I think it's very, very interesting. You've got worldwide chaos, it goes on to say, there. And then you've got worldwide chaos. And the next verse is exactly the next verses, 10 through 13. So amazing to me. There is no way in heaven or hell that this could happen. Except for God. It's just absolutely no way this could happen. In Matthew 24, 6, it says, And ye shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Now, here we go. <laughs> this is the end times. But he says, when you see these things, he said, it's not yet. Isn't that, isn't that something? So here we thought we ended it up, want to run up to this last day, and you get right up to it. He says, well, when you see these things, the end's not yet. So here I was holding my breath, and, and, the, and then he throws that thing in there, which is something we want to remember. These are signs, but they are signs that point to what is not yet. Are you with me? So I'm going to stop there today and we'll pick up next week. But so, so what we want to understand, we are living in the times of the signs and the times of the signs is the times of the signs, but it's the times of the signs not yet. So we got work to do. That's good. We got work to do. People tell me, say, well, Alan, you're trying to escape it. No, I'm just trying to run into what's not yet. <laughs> And then I'm out of here. <laughs> That's right. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that I hope and pray I've done a little justice to your word. And Lord, I, but my trust is that these people will test what I say. And my trust, oh God, is that your Holy Spirit would quicken truth to your people. And it's with that in mind that I can stand here and try to speak your word is because I'm trusting in your spirit and the hearts of your people. Lord Jesus, give us revelation, give us understanding that we might look at your word, that we would not be fearful, but we would be content. It would bring us even peace that your hand is upon us to protect and provide for us and to help us make the journey into eternity. We thank you, Lord. We're just overwhelmed at your grace and your mercy. Help us, oh God, equip us to let others know that have yet to hear that you're coming soon. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.